Build your cultural competence. Listen to interesting stories. Learn about the cultural pitfalls and how to avoid them. Get the global perspective here at Culture Matters Podcast on international business. We help you understand cultural diversity better by interviewing real people with real experiences, helping you develop your cultural competence. Hello, good morning, good afternoon, um, or good evening as well, no matter where you are or whenever you're listening. Welcome to the Culture Matters podcast, where we interview real people with real experiences. And today we have a real person. Uh, his name is Andy Molinsky, and Andy Molinsky is a professor of organizational behavior at Brandeis University's International Business School and the author and the of the award-winning Harvard Business Review press book, The Global Dexterity. He also blogs regularly about culture, cultural adaptation, and organizational psychology for Harvard Business Review. We talk a lot about culture and how we, or if we, and who should adapt to, to whom when it comes to cultural differences. And he also tells us uh, some, gives us some inside tips on what his book is about, and definitely can um, suggest that book to you. It's called Global Dexterity. You can get it on uh, on Amazon, but you can also um, get go to the uh, the show notes at culturematters.com and then go to the podcast tab and find uh, number twenty six where you find a link to the uh, the book from Andy Molinsky. Let's get right to the interview. It's time for this week's guest at the Culture Matters podcast. Here's your host, Chris Smith. Good morning, Andy. How are you? Uh, I'm doing well. Thank you, Chris. <laughs> All right. We just, uh, I just hit record and we were pre-chatting a bit and uh, we just found out that we're, uh, we're both sharing a week of school holidays. Isn't that true? <laughs> Exactly. <clears throat> so I I, uh, I I do have my two children downstairs. So you know if we're if we're interrupted, maybe we'll have a, a special unanticipated guest on the podcast. Absolutely, yes. And the same <laughs> same thing holds true with my daughter. Like I told you before, she's uh, she's bored to death almost watching TV way too long. But that's part of being holiday, uh, having a bit of a holiday as well, and it's it's, it's exceptional. It's good good um, to hear. Good to hear it's universal as well. Yes, so that's, that's good. maybe there's something culturally neutral. Yeah. Who knows? On the other side is Andy Molinsky. Andy, who are you and where do you come from and what's your cultural frame of reference? Tell us a little bit about yourself, please. Sure. I'm, I guess what, I'm what you'd call a monocultural in a sense. I was born and raised in the United States from Boston originally. Um, I'm a uh, professor at Brandeis University uh, in Boston mm-hmm. uh, at the International Business School. Um, and I also have a joint appointment in the psychology department. So I have a background in organizational behavior, uh, cross-cultural management, uh, and psychology. Mm-hmm. Um, and my, yeah, so my, my cultural frame of reference is American, but I've, I've lived abroad before. I've traveled. I've worked with people from many different cultures. And in my current job, where I'm a business school professor, uh, I would say about 70 to 75 percent of my students are non-native, non-American. Mm-hmm. So, for instance, this semester I'm teaching a uh, core course in the MBA program. I think I have 25, 26 students, one American. Wow. Is that, does, does that mean, does that make you like an enlightened American? 
<laughs> I don't know. It makes me a minority, I'll tell you that. <laughs> Absolutely. You are probably the most educated uh, guest we've ever had on the uh, the Culture Matters podcast <laughs> with a lot a lot of uh, BAs and MAs and um, I'm not sure if I've ever had a had a professor before. Um so Oh, okay. Well, I feel uh, I feel honored and and humbled and uh, hopefully I can ask some interesting questions. <laughs> <laughs> What uh, just I mean getting down to the, the the meat and potatoes when it comes to cultural differences and since you are in academia but also in in terms of practice because you've worked internationally as well so you know the ropes in a way uh, what always keeps surprising me why do most companies brush over cultural differences so easily so i yeah i should i should also mention chris that i do do a lot of work with companies and in, in both both in terms of consulting speaking and also research so i'm I'm definitely not, or at least I try not to be an ivory tower academic. Mm, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I like to borrow the best of both worlds. I like to ha have the academic frame, but at the same time, be really firmly grounded in the practical world. So, um, yeah, so, so your question about why do companies repeat it, I'm sorry? Well, why do companies brush over cultural differences so easily? Yeah, no, it's a good question. I think, I mean, there are, there are a lot of reasons for that. I think, well, I mean, one reason is that I think people underestimate the challenge. Yeah. Um, I think that, uh, <clears throat> I think sometimes, sometimes companies don't, aren't even aware of the challenge or they feel that it's, they're so consumed with the actual business issues, like the strategy issue, the accounting issue, the financial issue, the, mm -hmm. whatever, the logistics sometimes that the cultural stuff goes out the window. It's just not even on the radar, but even, but for companies where it is on the radar, I often find that, um, that they underestimate or, or, um, Or they they don't classify the problem correctly. Mm -hmm. For instance, if the problem is that people are struggling to adapt and adjust their behavior, uh, companies won't actually address that. Instead, they'll maybe perk it, purchase a packaged solution mm -hmm. of cultural differences, or give their employees a book, or mm -hmm. maybe subscribe to a internet. Um, based training site that might give their employees access to knowledge about cultural differences, but in the end, it might not make much of a difference. And so you're saying that that's not, it's not enough or not good enough? I think oftentimes the solution doesn't match the problem. So if, if the problem is that the employees in the, in the organization are unaware of cultural differences, mm -hmm. then I think a solution that focuses on cultural differences themselves can be quite a handy trick. It can be ha quite a handy solution. Right. But if the problem is that employees are struggling to adapt and adjust their behavior, mm -hmm. then a solution that only focuses on cultural differences is only going to get you part, part, part way. And in fact, will probably fail in terms of achieving its objective. That's what I mean. Okay, is it is it when it comes to cultural differences or or making companies aware? It's something that I bump into quite regularly as well, because um, that hence my question: people or companies or people within companies brush it away or aside. Like, well, it's not important. That's the one aspect you mention um, as well. And isn't it true that when when they are receptive, if you want, for cultural differences, we are only preaching to the believers to the converted already? Yeah, that's true. Um, it, it, it's important, I think, to um, to be able to speak not just to the converted, but to people who are not converted, to explain 
the value added that it's going to give the company in order to focus on cultural differences because there's so many other things that they could focus on. Um, so I think that that is, that, is, that is important. I think there's a lot of variability across people and across companies too. And it depends on the circumstance. In some cases, cultural differences maybe aren't a big deal. If you're dealing with companies and people who are very cosmopolitan, who have lived and worked all around the world in various cultures, various circumstances, and they might happen to be from different countries, mm-hmm. it's quite possible that they'll be able to handle cultural differences on their own or it won't be such a big deal. Mm-hmm. Whereas in other cases, it might be, for instance, if you're bringing together, if it's a marriage of two companies where people are mostly locals, in other words, let's say a German company buys an American company, but in, in most of the employees in the companies haven't lived, worked abroad, and aren't sensitive to cultural differences, that is a potential powder keg. Mm-hmm. Yes, you, you you talk about the value added then, and, and this, of course, for the for the companies, the people that are convi- con, uh, convinced and convicted already, you know, not convicted, convinced already about the importance. Um, what is the, the what arguments can you put on the table when it comes to the companies that don't see the importance of cultural differences or paying attention to cultural differences? What is the value added of actually doing this then? Well. In reality, I think it's. I, I, I think that it's a hard, It can be a hard case to make. I mean, you you can certainly um, you can certainly uh, give people get, uh, provide people with anecdotes and stories about failed partnerships, failed endeavors that uh, where cultural differences was the reason, right? Mm-hmm. And I think people respond often to anecdotes and stories and examples. I think that there's some data about the success of ex- expatriates abroad, uh, and if people, and, and I'm sorry, the the, str- the high failure rates of expatriates going abroad, mm-hmm. uh, and that in in the amount of money that it costs a company to um, to deal with a failed expatriate assignment and all the fallout because of that, and that the upfront cost of training and development is so small compared to that. Yeah. So there's, there, I think there's some data available, but I, you know, I think in the end, um, it's a very personal uh, decision, uh, uh, and it's, and it really relies on um, a it convincing the key decision maker. And I don't know the extent to which actual numbers and data mm. will ultimately matter in yep. that decision. I don't know what you, have you had that experience? Uh, it's, in any case, when it comes to education, be it a cultural, uh, cultural awareness, cultural competence or presentation techniques, it is really hard to put a do- dollar value uh, in terms when you talk about return on investment, when it's uh, in terms of broader education as such, I find it really hard um, to actually do this. And indeed I would agree with you that, uh, that my relationship with the decision maker of a organization, that's, that's the key factor of actually, um getting getting myself inside an organization but that's to, that's purely the consulting um, bit or the selling bit it's I always find it so so uh, tricky uh, or actually uh, amazing and astounding as well that companies just don't see the cultural differences that it's that they're, they're just not aware and I find I find that really awkward that um, that these things still happen many companies just say well we are uh, we just have to make it work we're not that different the germans and the americans you know we both speak english we have a fax machine uh, and we can email each other so we can work together as well Um, and i don't think it's the case 
you know, and in some cases that's true, but in many cases it's not. I think that I think that the I think that decision makers um, experience knowledge, awareness of failed situations that are similar to theirs. Mm-hmm. I think that really piques people's interests, right? Yeah. Because in the in the end, there's no guarantee of anything. There's no guarantee that there's no guarantee that cross cultural training will make a bottom line difference. There's no guarantee that my version or your version will. But it's in some ways it's insurance, and the extent to which the, um, and, and of course I, I believe that it makes a major difference. But I'm you're, we're talking about these the decision makers, and I think that it's really key for them to 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 um to have had an experience or be made aware of experiences similar to theirs where cultural differences have mm-hmm. really mattered yes that's true that has happened to, to me a couple of times as well whereby then eventually turning out to be a client or turning into a client person walking up to me and said you might have an answer to a problem i didn't know i had so <laughs> that's and then and then you see the eyes are going opening and that's and that's of course i think that's but that's why I do the work for. Um, I, if, I'd like to move on because there's a, a couple of things as well because the, you have a book that I am uh, very eager uh, to talk about as well. But since I have you on the line being the most educated person and you being one foot in, in academia and one foot in, in reality or in, in practicality, there's one question that I, I get almost every workshop that I uh, that I give and that is something along the lines of should I adapt or should they adapt? What What are your ideas about that? That's a very, very good question, and I wish, as an academic, I had the perfect answer for that. <laughs> the uh, I think it. I think you know. The, there's a classic joke I think in academics where the answer to everything is it depends. Yeah, I know, I know, I know, I know. Yeah. That typical <laughs> trainer question is our, our answer as well. World of training as well. Uh. I that um. I really do think it depends. I think it depends on a lot of things. Uh, do I adapt to them? Do they adapt to me? It depends on your power, your relative power, right? Yeah. Uh, it depends uh, on um, your where you are, turf. Like, are you are you on their turf? Or are are they on your turf? Yeah. It depends on your capabilities. Are you capable of adapting? Are you able to adapt as a person? Uh, as a person, yeah. yeah. Uh, it depends on your relationship. Uh, with 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 that person, uh, and that that might go into how far do you adapt? Do you just sort of um, adapt in a in a small but meaningful way to show that you're aware and that you respect their culture, but that you're not trying to mimic them in any way? Right. Or do you actually uh, adapt in a much deeper way? Uh, I think it also depends on the extent of time that you're going to be in a place like, is this a quick hit? Are you there just for the weekend or are you actually moving to Denmark or whatever? I'm just making, you know, wh- wh- whatever it is, you know? So, so, and, you know, I think it, I think there's, there are so many different factors. Um, but I do think that that's an important question for, you know, if it's a case where people, you know, a merger and acquisition, mm-hmm. uh, a bunch of expats coming to a company, whatever the context is, I think it's a really important question for a leader or manager to grapple with in their individual circumstance, because also corporate culture is important too, right? Sure. You know, maybe I don't adapt to your culture, you don't adapt to my culture, but we both adapt to the corporate culture. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, that's true. That's the way we do things rather than how we uh, value these kind of things, I think. 
Um, it, it it's, might actually go one level deeper or maybe one uh, difficulty up if you want. Because um, I, I would share, I, I think I, I agree with you and I share your uh, your viewpoint point on this. And ad- adapting your behavior is one thing, but what if you, what do you tell tell people if they don't respect the other culture? They can't adapt, but they just they they just find the they find the other culture um, uh, inferior or something like that. That's a hard one because if you if you find the culture inferior and you don't want to adapt at all and that you need, you don't want to show any respect, it's going to be very hard to build that bridge across cultures, right? Um, yes, because there is a lot of polarization going on currently. I mean, in, if you, when you look at worlds or geopolitics and stuff like that. Yeah, you know, I find that I find this is not an exact example of that, but um, I have a I have a colleague um, who is a se- very senior executive um, at a at a major Fortune 500 company, and he he has not traveled very much. He's American, and he went to India, and for him, it was very very foreign. Uh, and it was the kind, it's not that he didn't respect it. He respected it enough, but he was just so bewildered by the experience of going abroad. It was very, very uncomfortable for him. But what what he was able to do is he was able to find a a very authentic personal connection with a culture, which happened to be around sports. Mm. He's a, he loves sports and he had never played cricket before. But he was a big baseball fan, and he was genuinely curious, not just pretending, but genuinely mm. curious about how cricket works. And so he didn't, you know, he didn't care for a lot of the other aspects of the Indian culture, uh, and he was unaware of them, and it was very uncomfortable for him. But he was really interested in cricket, and that ended up becoming a great bonding opportunity. Yep. He ended up developing a little, uh, not, I wouldn't say a friendship, not a deep friendship, but a, a rapport, let's say. Yeah. Uh, in a collegial rapport with some of his colleagues, and that then actually softened his stance towards towards India and Indian culture, and he started to immerse himself a bit. So there can be a gateway, and if you find that gateway through something that's authentic and genuine to you, whatever it is, maybe for you it's photography, mm-hmm. maybe for me it's food. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. I find that's a, that's actually quite a valuable way, even for someone who doesn't initially. Now, in his case, it wasn't that he res- didn't respect it; it was more that he was just kind of overwhelmed. Yep, that's uh, that's a, it's an interesting concept to think about. That find a gateway where you both match and and take that to actually uh, progress and, and and deepen that that still important relationship. I think. Yeah, exactly. Don't don't. I mean, I don't think it just stays there. But that's an entree point. Yeah. Now, you mentioned earlier that uh, when it comes to formal training, that uh, uh, very often giving people, giving people a book or making people culturally aware uh, or and, and understand is not enough. How do you make, if you, are, if you are like limited to formal training, how can you make that more practical? Well, I think that, again, I think it depends on what the goals are yeah. um, and, and what the needs are. In some cases... The resources, the goals, the time are all you have is a quick hit on cultural differences. And if that's all you're going to do, that's fine. And it's certainly better than nothing oftentimes. Mm-hmm. But I wouldn't, I wouldn't, you know, if I were a manager or a leader, I wouldn't fool myself to think that that's enough, that you can sort of press a button or check a box mm-hmm. and you, oh, okay, culture's done. Check that box. <laughs> exactly. you know, it's not, it's not exactly like that. Um, so, you know, I'm a big advocate of, um, of training people um, to adapt and adjust their behavior, to actually develop skills, not yes. just knowledge, 
but skills. And that then requires people to go through a program or a process like I outline in the book where you're trying to find a way to be, it's sort of, you, you want to, act, when in Rome, act like the Romans, but at the same time, you don't want to lose yourself in the process. So can you find a way of being effective and authentic at the same time in the new culture? And that gets into my background in psychology, mm -hmm. which is a combination of psychology and cultural adaptation. So I find that that's, you know, ultimately the most effective way to help people be um, successful and authentic in, in a new culture. Um, but I also know from my own experience that that, they, that, that takes some time. Yeah. Um, so, you know, companies, organizations can't have their cake and eat it too. They can't want the most effective, the deepest training possible and do it in an hour, you know? <laughs> yeah, that's, yeah, and that's, it's, it's interesting that you as an American actually say this because that's my experience. Americans want it like, a, they want this whole cultural thing in four hours and if you can do it in three, that's even better. <laughs> right. That's, that's the seven steps of, of being highly uh, culturally competent or something like that. And you can, you can do stump something in, in, in one hour, two hours, three hours. You can do something, uh -huh. but you have to be aware of what you can do, right? Yes. There are certain... You know, it's not that you can't do anything. You can do something. And, you know, depending on the quality of your training, you know, you, you could you can sort of open people's eyes and maybe even give them a framework for moving forward. But it, but you have to be realistic about what you can achieve. Yeah, that's true. Would you agree with me that uh, when it, before you hit um, uh, the reality or in terms of, of, uh, of practicality, you first have to be aware of your own culture and then aware of the other culture, then understand the other culture, hopefully respect the other culture a bit here and there as well, and then move on to the practical sides or the cultural competence? Yeah, I would agree that. I would, I would agree with that. Um, <coughs> I, I think that understanding your culture, understanding the other culture, and then moving on from there is a sensible way. I also like to think about it in terms of situations, too. Um, my, my approach, my view, is that uh, cultural adaptation and cultural awareness is very situationally based. So in a particular situation, giving feedback to my boss, I might not be aware of how I'm supposed to do that in Germany. But in a different situation, and I might not feel comfortable doing it. Yeah. In a, but in a different situation, you know, um, I know clinking glasses at at, a, at the pub, or telling a joke, or uh, participating in a meeting, or whatever it might be, that might be a situation where I'm actually more aware of the differences and I'm more comfortable. So I th I, I I think of cultural adaptation very situationally, hmm. and I think that people often make the mistake of um, of of um, assuming that it's all or nothing that when i come to a new culture i have culture shock or culture shock goes away right but the thing is is that culture shock is very situationally dependent yep true i i would agree yes um you've mentioned your book already uh, global dexterity can you tell us a little bit more about how you came to this title global dexterity and what's what your book is about Sure. Um, uh, so, so when I got into the, and, and I don't know, tell me if this is too much, but I'll, but I, when I when I got into the field um, a long time ago of cultural um, of of cross cultural um, uh, management, mm -hmm. I was surprised that most of the work focused to uh, focus on differences. Mm 
on how culture X is different from culture Y, for instance. Um, While I was doing my PhD work, I was my doctorate, I was simultaneously volunteering at a resettlement agency, an agency that took that helped people from foreign cultures resettle into the United States and find jobs, Mm -hmm. and particularly how to network and interview. And I worked a lot with people from the former Soviet Union. They struggled so much trying to learn how to interview and network in the United States because it was so different from what they were used to. Uh And here's the thing, and this is what connects to the book. They knew about the differences. They they could tell you the differences. And back then, my Russian was much better, and I would talk to them in Russian. Really? Cool. It's a a little rusty, very very rusty now. But at, at that point, which is twenty years ago uh-huh. plus, I would you know I would I would work with them, try to help them, and they knew the differences. But and they would say, you know, Andy, I know the difference. I wasn't Professor Molinsky back then, Doctor Molinsky. Andy, I know the differences. I know the differences, um, but I just can't. I just can't do it in a real situation. Right. So what I realize is that cultural adaptation is much more than just learning the differences. It's it's learning to adapt and adjust your behavior in light of these differences. And that's what global dexterity is about. And that's what the idea of the book is. The idea of the book is to help people, give people a, a simple but very user-friendly and, um, and, and, and grounded framework uh, and set of tools to adapt and adjust their behavior in any situation without losing themselves in the process. In other words, staying authentic to who they are. And so that's what the book's about. The book's about is, is a process, very user-friendly process to help anyone in any situation, in any culture, learn to adapt successfully. Okay. Is there a, a certain model of culture that you're, uh, that you're using there, uh, or is it your own? It's my own. Okay. Yeah, it's my own. So it's a it's basically in essence it's a I would say it's a, it's it's a f- simple four-step plan. The first step is to diagnose the new cultural code. Mm-hmm. And, and as I said before, it's about situations. So I'm not talking about what the Dutch cultural code is. I'm talking about how to give a formal business presentation in Amsterdam. Yeah. You know, for instance, like you know, very specific. Yeah. Um, so to diagnose the new cultural code, and I have a very specific way to do that. In fact, I, I, have a, I, have in, I have a framework in the book that helps people take any situation they find themselves in any culture and learn to diagnose what the new cultural code is. Mm-hmm. Then you need to, of course, compare that cultural code. And, and what I mean by that is how assertively am I supposed to speak in this situation? How enthusiastic mm-hmm. am I supposed to be? How much self-promotion am I allowed to show? Things like that. Oh. And, then, and then to compare it to your own culture, and then you discover the gaps where exactly is the gap in other words not just that i'm uncomfortable doing x you know i'm, I'm just not just I'm, I'm uncomfortable giving feedback in germany as an american manager but why i'm uncomfortable what specific aspect of that behavior is most uncomfortable for me mm-hmm. and so that's the second step diagnose your own personal challenges then the third step is to customize your behavior so that is in, in essence the key to the book the idea is that is that There's no cookie-cutter approach. There's no single approach that will work for you, for me, for anybody. Just like like when you buy your clothes, or at least for me, when I buy my clothes at a shop, rarely can I just put them on right off the rack. You know, I can't just sort of pick a pair of pants, put them on and say, okay, 
perfect fit. Usually I have to bring them to a tailor and I need to take them out a little bit here or shorten them there. And it's the same thing with culture. Uh, It's not a one size fits all situation. You can oftentimes tweak or adjust in small but meaningful ways your own style in a new culture so that you can still say it stay effective according to their expectations and rules but you can also be yourself at the same time and so that's the trick it's almost sometimes i use the metaphor of a chef like in the united states at least fusion cuisine is very popular yeah. you know like like you know like german chinese food or vietnamese spanish food or yeah. whatever it is yeah, 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 yeah. And in some ways you're creating your a bit of a cultural fusion of course you still need to really keep an eye on being effective and appropriate in the new culture but you can fuse a bit of yourself into the process and that makes it much easier to do frankly because you feel like you have a foothold onto your own self onto your own authenticity so that's customizing your behavior so you've diagnosed the code you've discovered the gaps that you have you've customized your behavior and then finally the final step is to make it into what i call muscle memory sort of like athletes rehearsing you know like um Going uh, going over skill multiple multiple times. Leo Messi practicing that kick. Or actually, you're in Amsterdam. So who's a good uh, Marco van Basten? No, is he? <laughs> he was a good football player. Yeah, Johan Cruyff. Stick to the the, the, the one and only Dutch hero. Robin, Robin, right? Uh, yes, yeah, Robin. Uh, that, that would work. Yes. <laughs> you know him he's not much you know him practicing that corner kick you know thousands of times or that free kick or getting it just right you know it's the same thing you know or or my favorite tom brady the super bowl hero in the united states mm-hmm. practicing his throwing motion thousands of times so it's just completely automatic and that's what you need to do you need to make something that was uncomfortable and unusual into something that's automatic and natural and of course you adjust along the way just like a chef would adjust his fusion cuisine you know you adjust along And so that's what the process is. So it's very psychological, but also cultural, but also simple. Yeah, sounds like it. And, and you, I, I must say, you are really, truly an enlightened American, knowing knowing about football. And because I'm going to stick to the word football, because we play it with <laughs> our foot and not with the hands, as you would do the American football. Fair enough. You know, it's becoming pretty big in the United States now. Yeah, yeah, it should be. It's it's time. One billion people like it, and then you got you three hundred million are just reluctant to actually adopt it somehow. Right. Anyways, um, that's that's not the discussion. That's a, that's a very interesting uh, uh, framework. And this book is called Cultural uh, Global Dexterity, I should yes. say, and it's available on, on on Amazon as well in Kindle and in hardcover paperback, right? Or paperback. It's, it's it's available on Amazon and other places as well. But yes, definitely. Yeah, on Amazon as well. All right, great. Um, I just want to sort of move towards the uh, the end of the interview and uh, slightly personal, more personal, um, if you want. In um, in the introduction. We heard that you studied in Spain, you worked in France, and you are an American. Uh, what would you see or what could you describe as being some clear cultural differences that you've seen in your time either in Spain or France and back in the U.S.? And if you have some some juicy stories with that, maybe. <laughs> juicy stories. Well, let's see. I remember, I mean, Spain, Spain was very interesting because this isn't as much about cultural differences, but it's it's more about the experience of going to the unfamiliar. Mm-hmm. Do you know what I mean? Like a lot of, a lot of, um, a lot of the work in, in culture and cultural adaptation focuses on these, you know, hypothetical differences like power distance or individualism, collectivism, and these dimensions that people talk about. Yeah. But, you know, a lot of it is the experience like I had the night before I went to Spain, I was terrified. 
I had never been, I had, I had never been to Europe before. I had never been away from my family before. Mm-hmm. I was going away for five months, whatever it was to study. I, my Spanish was not great. <laughs> Actually, I, I was, uh, I wanted to go to Russia. And I, so I was studying Russian, but in, in those days, this was, this will tell you how old I am. Yeah. This is bef- before the wall went down, came down okay. and it was, okay. it was very hard to study in Russia. Mm-hmm. So I, I realized that I was not going to be able to, so I had to quickly learn some other language. So I was like, all right, Spanish, I could try that. And I like, I, I like languages. Yeah. Uh, and so, <clears throat> so I learned about a year of Spanish. And so I was sitting, I remember very well sitting in my bed the night before with very, minimal Spanish realizing what am I doing? Mm-hmm. I get on the plane. I, it's dark. I'm flying over the Atlantic. Now is now this is, you know, this is a, a very young version of me. I've never done this before. I get into Madrid. I learn, I knew my basic book Spanish, mm-hmm. but then everyone is speaking, you know, 200 miles a minute. <laughs> I know it's amazing. Yeah. Can't understand it. I get in a taxi. I definitely can't understand him. I end up somehow getting to my host family mm-hmm. where I'm staying and I find out that she doesn't like Americans. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> and so that it, it then it then goes on from there. It was an amazing experience though. You know, I was I did immerse myself in the in 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 the experience. You know, there are all sorts of of course superficial somewhat superficial but still meaningful differences of, you know, getting used to the siestas which they really back then were doing them. Uh, you know, the the meals in the middle of the day, all the sort of interesting cultural elements, the bullfights and all those things huh. plus the language and the um you know i didn't have i wasn't working in a company at that point that was more of the experience of studying abroad but then when i went to france i was working in a french company and i could see some of the hierarchical differences in the company in terms of the boss you know the french boss being you know much more a little bit more of a higher power distance than the american boss mm-hmm. I remember, one thing i remember everyone smoking now i know this is <laughs> still the case it's still the case andy <laughs> Uh, you know, I remember the arguments, uh, and, and I remember these sort of like the arguments in the, in the boardroom and how people were like arguing about things in a way that I just don't think they would have in the United States mm-hmm. to the, to that extent. And in that way, and you know, it's just little, little differences here, but, but, um, but I, but I, I became fascinated by the experience of trying to adapt and adjust your behavior across cultures about trying to build relationships, build bridges. Um, I remember very well. Um, this is how I got into it in the first place. I remember I was doing work in, in, in France. I was working for a small company. I wasn't so interested in the actual topic of the company. I hope no one's listening from that company. No, nobody, <laughs> it's just, just between you and I. Okay, right. I'm sure, right. Yeah, so, uh, it, but, I, but I, was, I was fascinated by the cultural stuff in the office. And I used to keep a secret file on my computer of all the cultural adaptation issues I was noticing. This was independent from my work. I, you know, I, was, I, I finished my work relatively quickly on a given day. Uh, and then I started keeping notes, secret notes. And, and that, that was sort of my, my, my beginnings as, a, as, a, as someone who was fascinated by this stuff. And, that, and from there, I, I, I decided I wanted to go the academic route, but also keep a foot firmly planted in the world of practice. Right. Okay, really nice, nice stories like this. Excellent. Um, two questions left. One is the most difficult one. I'm going to give that to you right now, um, which is, can you give us three tips to become more culturally competent? What three tips can you give the audience? Three tips um, to be more culturally competent. I think the first tip would be to try your best to understand your own culture. 
I think people often are focused on the other culture. Mm-hmm. Uh, try to understand your culture. Imagine what it's like to be in, a, in some, in this case, you probably need some resources, either speaking with someone or reading, but try to really get a good perspective on your own culture. I think, I think that would be tip number one. Great. Yeah. Uh, tip number two would be to um, try to somehow find the courage to step outside your comfort zone. Mm-hmm. I think a lot of cultural adaptation uh, work is very intellectual, uh, heady, sort of like, you know, uh, in, in academic terms, we say cognitive, but basically intellectual. Yep. But the reality is that a lot of it in the in the real world is much more emotional. Uh, in, and I think that a lot of it entails stepping outside your comfort zone. And I think finding somehow the courage uh, and the opportunity and circumstance to step outside your comfort zone, that would be my second tip, because then you're starting to build that muscle to be able to do that. Uh-huh. Um, my third tip would be to read Global Dexterity. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm, I'm, I'm going to put that in the show notes any, in any case, so don't worry <laughs> no, about that. I don't, know if that. I don't know if that suffices, but those are three tips. Okay, all right. Read the book would be tip number um, tip number three. Read the <laughs> book. I'm just making some notes here. <laughs> there you go. Fantastic, Andy. Uh, last question, finally, because I know you're on a deadline as well. How can people get in touch with you should they want to? Oh, uh, feel free to email me. Uh, my email is available. Um, uh, I'm also on Twitter, uh, and uh, I started doing Twitter last year, and I enjoy it. Uh, but it's it's new for me still, but I really enjoy it. And, and LinkedIn, of course, as well. So those are my main platforms. I also have a Facebook site for the uh, Global Dexterity book, and I post things every now and then. But I think Twitter and LinkedIn would be great ways. Okay, email Twitter and LinkedIn. And uh, if you're interested in yeah. getting in touch with Andy Molinsky, then go to the show notes, uh, Culture matters.com type in the search box andy and you'll find him no doubt thank you so much professor for taking the time out of your uh, holiday week somewhat uh, or something like that and um, and talking to us about cultural differences it's been uh, it's been a great talk thanks again so much and i'm pretty sure we'll be in touch that sounds great chris i really enjoyed it thank bye-bye all right bye Thanks again, Andy. I hope you enjoyed this interview. We'll be back next week. No, next week in two weeks' time with yet another interview in the Culture Matters podcast. Thanks so much for listening. And uh, we'll be back in two weeks. Take care. Bye-bye. That's it for this episode. The Culture Matters podcast, helping you understand cultural diversity better by interviewing real people with real experiences.